Welcome to the Four Eyes Podcast, brought to you by Young OD Connect. We give you a clear view into the new grad optometry world across Canada and the U.S. And we are your hosts. I'm Dr. Deepon Carr. And I'm Dr. Amrit Bilku. I really like these glasses. And even last, like two days ago when we were on Zoom, you were wearing different glasses. And then last time we recorded, you were wearing different glasses. Yes, maybe. You have this much money for all these glasses? I'm getting a collection of my glasses. I'm trying to get one every day of the week. Seven. I think I'm at four now. Wait, that's so cool. Wait, why? I've never, I don't know. I, like, I just, since I've known you, you've only ever worn the same <laughs> pair of glasses. That's because I can only afford one pair of glasses. <laughs> um, no, it's because, you know, I work at an independent um, eyewear clinic. So I'm taking yeah. advantage. So these ones are Makita's and cool. they're cool because they're very lightweight. Yeah. And for higher prescriptions, it's um, nicer. That's so that like, looks similar to or green. So we're going to carry that at Northern site. So it's ah. all titanium, like metal frames, super lightweight, really skinny frames, like nothing over the top. And yeah. then it's funny, like just like yours right now, they're all bright colors. And so when you look at it, you're like, whoa, like that's way too neon. But then the, the minute you put it on your face, I don't know what they do. It oh, just- yeah. That's what, when I first saw these on the like little rack I was like oh those are too orange and I put them on and I was like oh my god they don't e- and they don't even this. look that orange like they kind of look pink <laughs> <laughs> I mean everyone who's listening to the podcast is really missing out so maybe you guys should stop and watch this episode oh yeah I'm like gyrating watch- my head side to side <laughs> so you guys can like enjoy the glasses more I'm no I really or... I'm a huge fan of Makita's there I wasn't before and then after I got my own pair I was like oh these now I know why so many people love these yeah so Brand. what other pairs do you already have then my other pair it's a little bit um of a thicker frame it's a mm. and then my other lighter ones are Garrett light and then yeah, those my... are popular um, and my other ones are, um, actually from Bailey Nelson. Oh, so cool. they're my clear ones that I got a long time ago, like in oh. our earlier podcast. I think yeah. you even said, you were like, where are those glasses from? Yeah. I was like, they're my new ones. Th- that's when I actually first started working at Bailey Nelson and then, oh, okay. Okay. Gave me a free pair. Yeah. So you're aiming to get what? Three more then? Mm, three more, possibly more I don't know oh my god that's so fun (laughs) I know I I never was like a glasses person even though I wore glasses every day but I didn't really care and now I think it's because the um eye stylists and opticians I work with at um Mm -hmm. sphere that they kind of inspire me to get more glasses well it makes a huge difference like that that's what I'm trying to learn right now too is how to sell multiple pairs and mm-hmm. you know how to make a story about it and convince people so yeah like my shoe analogy is like oh yeah top <laughs> notch like analogy because <laughs> yeah. like it it makes people really oh. like stunned oh yeah I didn't count my sunglasses so I also oh. have like oh so I guess I do have I have Ray-Bans and I have crew sunglasses nice but like right now, we just put our inventory out on our shelves um, for all of our frames. 
So yeah, like every day right now, right before the clinic is about to, you know, get ready to be open. I'm literally just like, Ooh, let me put these on. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh, I like these. And Manraj is like, Oh God, I hope we sell all these frames. I'm like, <laughs> okay, I'm buying eight of them anyway. So I'll just pay it off. I know like- that's what happens though. I feel like when you get your new collection and everyone that works at the clinic is like, Oh, let me just try all these on. Yeah. Actually, what was really interesting that I wanted to share with the listeners was um, we just went to Alaska. In oh, May. yeah. So, I mean, yeah, who knows when this episode will come out, but we were there in May and we went to go see Dr. Alex Kuhn, our fellow yes. Four Eyes co-host. We mm-hmm. missed Rav, Dr. Rindawa. She was supposed to be there too. But yeah, it was like the trip of a lifetime. So if no one's been to Alaska yet, you need to go. Call Dr. Kuhn or make friends with the local there to do like <laughs> local activities because yeah. I, I feel like it, it would be a much different experience compared to the people who go on the cruise. Cruise yes. is obviously more relaxing. I think we should have done that in hindsight. <laughs> what Alex made us do? I mean, yeah. So Alex Kuhn grew up was born and raised in Alaska. So she is an Alaskan girl through and through. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you, if, I mean, go to Alaska, if you're pretty outdoorsy, you like to hike, you like to be out the door uh, and like healthy like outdoors. <laughs> yeah. And like, if you like seeing mountains, you know, Oh, if you like seeing animals. Yes. Um, animals. grizzly bears. Um, Oh my Deer, God. You moose. will definitely see a moose Yeah, <laughs> on the highway. You will see a moose every day. If it's a baby moose, if it's an adult moose, whatever it is, you will definitely see a moose. You'll see sheep. You'll see goat. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, it was very, very fun. And yeah, the best part was we got to spend time with Alex. Sometimes I think back to that trip and I'm like, we really literally could have died at any moment on that trip. (laughs) Like Alex is just, when we say physically fit, outdoorsy, to like a whole nother level and she would take us on these trips. So, you know, we would be packing our bags ready to go on this like glacier hike or (laughs) ATV rides. And she would tell her parents because we were staying there, you know, with the family. And then she'd be like, yeah, we're taking Amrit and Deepon, you know, to the glaciers. And they're like, you know, we lost a few people on that glacier (laughs) a while back, but, uh, Yep, lots of people die there, but have fun. Yeah. <laughs> and we would just stare at Alex like, um, are are we doing that same thing? She's like, ah, eh, you'll be fine. <laughs> I think what's funny is when we did our so we did a glacier hike and our tour guide was like, Yeah, I'm just gonna take you off path a little bit because I just wanna see what's a little bit further down the glacier. And he's like, We were like, Okay, like, is it gonna be much harder? It's like, no, no, you guys are a fit group. It should be fine. He said, you um, guys seem like you can walk. That's yeah. what he said. <laughs> so we were, our standards were, okay, we just need to walk horizontally, like on this horizontal yeah, path. Yeah, not vertically not at 80 deal. degree incline yeah. and then with he ice was shoes. Like, yeah, exactly. So we all had ice shoes on so we wouldn't like slip, obviously on the glacier. And then he would t- take us on this horizontal path. And then all of a sudden he's like, oh, we're going to go that way. And then the path all of a sudden turned vertical. I don't yeah. mind like, a or there was no, angle. there was no path. I don't know. It was, so we did it. it. We all did it, but I was holding my breath a couple of times and I was yeah. like, well, 
If I fall, if, if we slip, we're done. It <laughs> was a real outdoor experience. So yeah. anyways, go to Alaska. It's fine. Yes. It's outdoorsy lifestyle for sure, but it's fun. Oh yeah. But yeah. Oh, we should do our intro <laughs> and get oh, started. Yeah. <laughs> Today, we're going to talk about how to break up with a patient. And mm -hmm. I think this is such an important topic because I do see this conversation come up here and there on like Facebook forums or emails, but it's not something that we really learn how to do in school. It's mm -hmm. not something that I guess people will openly talk about. And it's probably not a conversation coming up all the time. This is somewhat of like a case reflection that a lot of the listeners um, really, really liked when we did that in past seasons. Um, and I have a case to share. So I'll kind of get started and just talk about it. And then we can talk about, you know, what we would do. And this is about a year and a half ago. I was an associate at a practice and we had a patient come in for comprehensive eye exam. He complained that, you know, he had blurry vision in one eye for the past three to four months. He came here from the States. Um, so he had no history of his eye exams or medical history um, with him. And, you know, we did the eye exam. He had a CRVO with macular edema in that one blurry eye and some mild diabetic retinopathy in the other eye. CRVO, macular edema, three to four months. I mean, his VA was like 2100, right, in that eye. Um, educated the patient, stressed the importance of seeing a family doctor. Um, he said he didn't have a registered doctor here. So we even gave him the information because with Ontario, there's a website where you can register your health card number and um, the government actually connects you with a registered family physician who's accepting new patients. Uh -huh. So we even like gave him the website and said, you know, go here, take these steps, find a family doctor. And I wrote a note about the CRVO so that he could take that note to the walk-in clinic that was across um, from our office. In addition to that, obviously, I also referred to a retinal ophthalmologist um, for any further treatment options, management plan, and just recommendations. For my follow-up, I said, follow up with me in about three months. We'll do another dilation retinal imaging or whenever the ophthalmologist recommends he has a follow-up, right? Because, I mean, if he's going to do injections or something or laser treatment, I'm going to hold off until that's kind of calmed down. Mm -hmm. And the patient was like, you know, yeah, like listening and kind of like, okay, okay, like I'll get this done. So a few weeks later, I get a letter back from the family doctor who said that he did a physical on the patient. He does have uncontrolled diabetes, you know, blood pressure, cholesterol. He, he's got everything. Um, recommended insulin and medication and said patient refused treatment and wants to monitor then I got the letter also back from the OMD when he saw the retinal uh, ophthalmologist and stated the same diagnosis, offered the treatment plans for injections and patient refused the treatment and didn't want it and wants to monitor. Did so they have any further recommendations when he refused treatment? Monitor, like, right? Just, I mean, oh. monitor, like they, I mean... It was both of those letters from the GP and the OMD, they were thoroughly written, like, you know, extensively discussed side effects and risks mm -hmm. and blah, blah, blah. And patient strongly 
um, refuses treatment against medical advice, blah, 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 uh, go back to optometrist. <laughs> we called the patient and said, come back in three months for a follow-up. We'll dilate you again and we'll do retinal imaging because that's all I have is an optos. Um, I don't have an OCT or visual field machine or anything else. Mm -hmm. And he comes back because I don't know, he likes me or he thinks I'm nice. And so he's listening to like my follow-up plan and he comes in and then again, vision is like 2200, right? I mean, it's, it's getting worse. worse. It's, yeah, yeah, it's getting worse. And, you know, then I have to sit there for, you know, another half hour having that conversation again of why it's important to listen to what the OMD recommends and what the GP recommends. And he's asking me for my opinion. So I'm like, yeah, I, you know, injections are, will help you. And, mm -hmm. I advised him to go see those referred doctors again. He listened, he went again, and then he refused the treatment. Treatment. Right. So then then those ophthalmologists are getting annoyed too. Like, you know, why stop sending this patient to us if he's not mm -hmm. gonna do treatment? Mm -hmm. He's very Ooh. paranoid with medical treatment, right? Like he he believes that insulin is it's something that doctors are making up and he thinks injections are fake and, or it's, it's a money scheme or, you know, the doctors oh. just want to take everything from me. And it just kind of starts to seem like he does have some sort of a mental health disorder where I, maybe he's not fully comprehending, you know, the importance of the treatment. He doesn't. And the consequences. And yeah. the consequences. Right. Yeah. After like three or four visits like this, He's also then emailing my staff every week, like articles about, you know, insulin or anti-VEGF treatment. And he's like sending two page long emails to my staff saying, I don't want to follow what these doctors are saying. I want Dr. Bill Kuda send me to someone else, or I want Dr. Bill Kuda follow this. And I don't believe this stuff. And so, so he's oh. taking up our staff time because then our staff is like, what do we do with these emails? It, it made the staff very uncomfortable because then he would argue with them, get frustrated with them. And then it made me uncomfortable because I had to leave my exam door open to make sure I'm not alone, you know, in mm -hmm. a closed room with this patient, you know, so you start to feel uncomfortable too. And then you're dreading mm -hmm. him coming in because then, you know, he's scheduled again for another three months. Yeah. Now it's my duty to make sure he comes in. Yeah. And so, you know, you're a new grad OD, you work as an associate doctor in this like setting where you're only there a few days a week, you're uncomfortable, you don't feel safe at some point because of how frustrated and, and upset this patient gets sometimes, your staff is uncomfortable, and you're monitoring a condition that you don't have the diagnostic tools to really monitor and you can't even treat. So, Especially if it's becoming worse. It's like, becoming worse. So yeah. how, how does one handle this condition? Because I was, I was really stuck in this place for clearly about four follow-ups mm -hmm. um, until I had to say, okay, something has to change. But how, like, how would you handle it? I think I would try to do a different retinal specialist, maybe- mm -hmm. I don't know. I feel like in this case, if the retinal specialist wasn't able to, to convince the patient to 
um, go with the treatment, the retinal specialist in Alberta would end up monitoring the patient every three months instead of giving it back to the optometrist because now it's on them. Like if something becomes worse, yeah, it, like it's indicative that the optometrist referred to them and there's something wrong. And if they're like, well, we're just going to give it back to the optometrist and things are getting worse. It they'll, they're still at fault for that part. Yeah. The first, um, referral that I sent like initial onset. Yeah. The, the OMD was like, you know, patient refuses treatment, advised him to like follow up in whatever it was three or six, three months, six, four months, whatever. But Mm -hmm. the patient refuses to go, you know what I mean? Like he, I don't know what it was. He, he, he felt that any like MD or OMD, like the the family physician at the walk-in, the, um, ophthalmologist, he was like, they just want to take my money. They just want to give me, you know, chemicals and like, I I don't know. He just had this meant. And then I referred him again to mm-hmm. the same, so we mm-hmm. have larger OMD offices where they have like, you know, eight OMDs that work there. So, you oh, know, okay. it, it may not be given to the specific one. So I just sent the referral again and I said, you know, patient is denying or um, refusing treatment. Please reassess, uh, educate the patient again on importance of treatment because I tried educating, it's not working. And mm-hmm. so then I think another OMD took him in that same location. And, it was and then, result. and then that OMD was kind of like, yeah, like he's not, he doesn't want treatment, follow up with like optometrist or op- okay. like he so was I just kind of so like, he's refusing eh. to go to the, he would refuse MD, to go anyways to the ophthalmologist. And then yeah. he'll be like, I'll go to you. Yeah, he'll come to me. But that's the other thing too. Like, even if you send him to a different optometrist, he probably won't. Yeah. He's, care he's just doesn't trust any doctor. And I don't know what it was about me that made him trust me. I, I don't think I would have done anything different compared to like yeah. what another, you know, doctor would have done, but yeah. he just, and then, and that that's where the harassment started coming in. Like, especially with my staff, he'd be like, When's my follow-up appointment with Dr. Bilku? I want to send Dr. Bilku this email, have her read about this insulin and blah, 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 blah. And the staff was like, okay, like, no, you're not allowed to see Dr. Bilku until the day you are booked. Like, do not come mm-hmm. into our office. You know, you cannot walk in, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, it was, but I would yeah, even, it was I would probably a little hectic. In, I would even probably write to the um, family doctor if there's like a psychological evaluation that maybe needs to occur um mm-hmm. just to see I never maybe thought the of that. um yeah. well that's something you wouldn't think of because you're you're out and you're like mm-hmm. I don't know like what is happening right now um yeah. most patients are pretty compliant uh it's not like we see this oh, yeah. I don't know maybe if you worked in downtown Toronto maybe that's different yeah they, would- <laughs> they probably see like things go crazy there but um yeah I would probably like uh write to the family doctor saying i think this patient might need a psychological evaluation due to mm-hmm. these reasons um and if the family doctor agrees or disagrees you know again that's up like to you've them. done there's only so much diligence. you can do yeah there's only mm-hmm. so much you can do at that point but again i still just from um what you're saying with your staff and how you in general felt around the patient that feeling of being uncomfortable or unsafe mm-hmm you have to fire that patient from the clinic. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because 
again, it's how you guys are feeling. Like I would understand if this patient came in every three months, but was nice to the staff and Mm -hmm. fair to you. Like, yeah, then, okay, fine. You can see them every three months and just check how things are going. But the point where you feel unsafe or threatened Mm -hmm. or your life is at risk at any point, you have to, um, or anyone's life in the clinic is, um, threatened. You have to fire the patient. Yeah. Yeah. As an associate and a new grad, I didn't really know that we would have any say in firing a patient in a practice that I don't own. So, and that's honestly why I think I went through four follow-ups with this person until the last one, he was shouting at my staff when he came in. Mm -hmm. And after I did his eye exam, I was like, I dreaded coming in for a week because I knew he was scheduled. Like it's, it's not okay to feel like that. And I spoke with my employer and the minute I told my employer about it, they were like, why didn't you tell me earlier? Like, yeah, we can like, no, don't, don't book him anymore. Don't see that patient. And I was, I was, I don't know why I, I, I was so, so shocked that I was like, I didn't know that I had a say in that. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? Like, I just felt like as an associate, you, you're not involved in the handling of, you know, patient care and dynamics like that with the, with the clinic. I feel like like, some, no, don't, don't see that person anymore. So it was, it was relieving to hear that. Well, that's good that he handled it that way. Like the owner of that clinic, but I feel like some um, owners might be like, well, I'll see the patient. They don't have to see you. Yeah. I'll see that patient. And then if it doesn't work maybe with the owner, then they'll, you know, be like, okay, now this patient can be, which makes sense too, because I, I would think that too, like the owner is the one who kind of makes that final decision Mm -hmm. to say who's fired and who's not. Um, but I don't always agree with that because I feel like if you're telling the owner that you feel unsafe and the staff feels unsafe, that should be like, especially there's multiple people saying that that should be an easy, okay, we're not seeing this patient Mm -hmm. anymore. Um, but I feel like there'd be some, uh, clinic owners who'd be like, well, no, let's see if I can figure out what's going on with this patient. Yeah. Et cetera. And then if there's nothing resolved, then, then we can let go of the patient. But I, I don't know. I, I would do what that owner did. And you're saying like, look, this is the situation with the staff and me. I would immediately be like, Oh yeah, no, we're not. That's fine. Yeah. Like not scheduling anymore. Yes. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So that, that's how I handled the situation in the beginning. But even after that step, I still didn't know what to do after, right? Like now, you know, that you want to fire a patient or break up with the patient. Mm -hmm. Um, so the first thing that I, I started writing down like tips for what new grad ODs and maybe even student ODs can do if they're in that situation, even the first day that you feel like you had a really uncomfortable situation with the patient, at least just bring it up bring it Mm -hmm. up to staff because the staff is going to observe those patients right at the front desk in the optical talk to the staff and be like, did you get any sort of a vibe from this patient, anything? And if, if they all say yes or no, you can kind of, you know, get a sense of, is this something that I should just kind of keep in the back of my head, but you know, see that patient one, one or two more times, see if it was just all in my head. 
But if the staff is like, yeah, that patient is, you know, yeah. I mean, and again, to clarify, it's not like a weird patient. I feel like no, no, no. This is like 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 an angry patient or someone, or even someone who's demeaning or threatened with your life, like or again, abusive to the doctor. Harassing. I mean, harassing. Harassing. Like, yeah. Funny when you were like, "Oh, we should ask like if you have a question about the vibe of this patient." I feel like (laughs) me and my staff do that on the daily. (laughs) Every day. What's happening with this person? And then the other team member will be like, "I don't know," but I felt, but not like that. Like you. Yeah, not. That's not enough to break to break up with the patient. But (laughs) yeah, um, definitely like talk to staff about it because then. If the staff also agrees with you when you're the associate doctor and the owner is not there that day, mm-hmm. then when you guys have those staff meetings or when you actually bring it up to the employer, then at least you kind of have your staff to also support what you're saying. And mm-hmm. and you can let the employer know too. It's like, it's not just me, you know, the staff also feel this way. We all feel this way also. So then you don't feel like you're the only person bringing it up. Cause it can be scary to even just talk about it. If it's just you, you don't know, mm-hmm. am I overthinking the situation? Am mm-hmm. I being overdramatic? Cause I did feel that way for the first three visits. I was like, am I just being overdramatic that this patient is really making us like me feel uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. But by visit four, when my staff was also expressing it, that's when I felt more confident to say, okay, now I got to bring this up like this. Yeah. Now we can't have this person come in anymore. Right. And then another piece of advice, contact your association and mm-hmm. ask for any um, advice, professional advice, or even legal advice, because sometimes your associations may even have um, like legal counsel available for ODs to just yeah. discuss situations. So you can always ask, you know, is this a legal situation where, I have that, you know, authority to break up with the patient within my rights. And so mm-hmm. I think that's like a great piece of advice that I wish I knew back then. Cause then I yeah. probably would have talked to the association like by visit two. Yeah. Like, to know if them. this is something, you know. Yeah. And they they usually have certain guidelines too, where they'll be like, if this situation occurs, you are validated in, you know, breaking up with this patient or terminating the yeah. relationship with this patient. So um, I guess it depends on each provincial association or and state, state yeah. association, but even just contacting them or sending them an email about, Hey, I'm in this situation. What should I be doing or how should I mm-hmm. handle this? Actually, even, even about those guidelines. So I did before this episode, I looked up the Ontario guidelines. Um, the guidelines were under uh, MDs like physicians. Mm -hmm. Um, but I'm sure it applies for most doctors. And then I also looked up the AOA that has guidelines and their ethical standards Mm -hmm. for when breaking up. And it was interesting actually, because I didn't really consider this, but you cannot break up with the patient just because they refuse medical treatment or they refuse the treatment that you recommend. And I feel like in the beginning of this case, that was what was going on in the back of my head, right? Mm-hmm. I was like, I don't want to see this patient anymore because he's not following my treatment recommendations or any other doctor's recommendations. And now I'm going to be responsible for 
you know, his condition getting worse. Can you imagine and- if that was part of the guidelines though? Every kid that, or had to wear like plus five glasses or something. And the parents would come back and be like, no, they didn't wear their glasses. And they're like, okay, and you're, you're like, fired. Break up. Bye, you're fired. You're fired. <laughs> Actually, I prefer yeah. you somewhere like, it, It's funny because like, I don't, I don't think of it in that situation. Like, yeah, yeah. if a patient has dry eyes and they stop, they didn't use the drops. Oh, yeah. I'm not going to fire them and be like, get up. <laughs> But, but you know what? I never like, actually, I never thought about it that way. I think it's because when you said things were getting worse yeah, and he still wasn't following the treatments that you advised him to do, then it's like, what are you supposed, like, what to, are you do supposed to do in situation? <laughs> and things are getting worse and he can potentially go blind because you definitely do not want to be the last doctor right? that sees so, that So what do you do to get out of that? Like, how do you get out of, not having to be the last doctor mm-hmm. before this patient spirals downwards. And so, yeah. so just an FYI, you cannot break up with the patient legally just mm-hmm. because of that, but you can break up with the patient when their behavior is offensive to you and the staff. If you feel unsafe or if they've harmed anyone, or, you know, if there's verbal and or physical abuse, harassment, all that kind of stuff. So then of course, by, you know, follow up three and four, I had more of a case to Mm -hmm. document and say, okay, now this is the reason why I'm going to break up with this patient. But, but yeah, that was interesting. And so, like you said, Deepon, what do you do, you know, when the patient's just not following treatment, uh, you have to document, document, wrap out of your chart. Yes. And so he um, had a lot of documentation. Like yeah, every I think, sentence word for word. I think yeah. that's the one thing we definitely or one of the most important things we learned in school. I always remember during my rotations, they're like, if you didn't document it, it didn't happen. It's so, so true. In these kind of cases, I think, yeah, even my attending ODs were like, if you have a complicated patient or someone is just not listening to your treatments all the time or they're just not compliant you have to document 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 this was like a lot of our I think when we did a lot of glaucoma cases because not everyone's compliant with their glaucoma Mm -hmm. medications so yeah document 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 because say it say the besides the behavior of this patient if they were like very friendly to you and your staff Mm -hmm. but they would come in and you're like okay like did you do any of the treatments or see the ophthalmologist they're like nope like okay, <laughs> so, like and then you continuously and, tell them. Well, now you're counting fingers and you're one. Can you imagine your no. your AP like your assessment plan is like patient didn't listen. Yeah. No problem. <laughs> yeah, I, but I mean, it's like then you do a follow up every month, and yeah. they still continue. So I feel like, but the thing is, if that patient were to come back and be like, I went blind because. You didn't tell me, no, it's not, Mm -hmm. you have all that documentation. That's when it becomes really, really important to document every little, every sentence, every sentence comes out of this patient's mouth, even the way they're behaving, Mm -hmm. which follow-ups they had, which, whichever doctor, Mm -hmm. those doctors will have documentation. So it's just really to cover your bit. If anything illegal occurs or another tip when documenting, make sure you list the solutions that were thought of mm-hmm. and talked about during those initial occurrences, especially yes. when there's um 
behavioral problems, like with the patient, even that. So, you know, did you let the patient know of their behavior or did you, you know, do anything to try and change the patient's responses so that they would calm down or anything like that? Just anything that you tried to do to resolve the issue, write that down too. Yes. Because yeah, it's true. If if you didn't document it, it didn't happen. And there's so many ODs that I worked with in like in the past years that would always look at my charts and be like, why are you writing so much? And I'm like, because one day the lawyers are going to find me. <laughs> and I'm going to be true though. We do. I, I definitely know. I take it for granted. Like something yeah. so simple. I'll be like, even if you have, everyone has their eccentric patients and it's like, mm -hmm. well, you got to be careful because it, you, if you don't document what you said or exactly, that's a good point. Like what your solutions were, what yeah. the recommendations were yeah. um, to the T it can bite you later on. Yeah. So really bad. So now let's say you finally decided to break up with the patient. What yes. do you do next? You have to write your notice of termination or you have to write an official certified letter um, with your header on there, your signature mm -hmm. that informs the patient um, that they are going to be terminated from the practice in a certain amount of days. So of course you have to give them a reasonable, at least 30 day notice and make sure you send that letter um, where it's tracked and they need a signature or like a return receipt to make sure that the patient has actually received the letter. So don't email, don't leave a phone call, type out the letter, print it. If you don't have a printer, cause nobody does anymore, go to the library, <laughs> print it out, <laughs> mail it through FedEx or whatever Canada post and just make sure they get it and yeah. include the reason of termination. But just to save your legal butts, do not give a very detailed reason of termination. <laughs> Just make it very broad. You can get a lawyer oh, yeah. to look over it too. If you have one at your fingertips, just get deep up. on an eye to look over it. Send in your termination <laughs> letters to podcast four eyes. We'll take a look. We'll, we'll send yeah. it over. We'll put our four eyes slang in there and attitude and hand motions. Yeah. And then, uh... But it's true. Like every, yeah. Anything you kind of like a letter that you write to, to terminate a patient, you have to be careful how you word it. I know I would definitely not just write it and send it. I would have many mm -hmm. people look over it or even try to get legal advice to be like, is this worded properly? Because again, you don't want it to bite you in the arse later. Also in that letter. Now this, I, this may be different for each state and association, but definitely for most provinces, um, you have to provide a list of alternative providers for care in that letter. So I think mm -hmm. in Ontario, it's at minimum three different doctors or just three different locations for those services. So in Alberta, you don't have to provide anyone's name. Really? But it's nice if you do. Yeah, it's not mandatory. I just read it oh, in our guidelines, but it would be nice to. if you did. Yeah. yeah. So you don't have to, but definitely you have to let the patient know at least 30 days in advance that you mm -hmm. will be terminating the relationship and yeah. for them to find care um, elsewhere. But mm -hmm. we are not required to yeah. um, give another optometrist or ophthalmologist name. 
Yeah. And I think this is why we're stressing, like, make sure you look at your state or provincial association mm -hmm. guidelines because it's different. Everywhere. I know in Ontario, I think we have to. A, a really funny comment that was made from another OD in like a Facebook forum was I basically for any patient that I absolutely dislike and break up with, I I recommend the three most least favorite optometrists <laughs> in the neighborhood. <laughs> Which I don't recommend because we should all, <laughs> we are all colleagues. We all need to uplift each other. But when I read that, I thought it was just so funny. I was like, oh man, I was like that. That's hilarious. Imagine if your, your clinic is getting all these like letters <laughs> of like, uh, could you please provide this patient care? And you're like, wow, so many referrals. Wow, so many referrals. <laughs> yeah. But why are these pa patients so shitty? <laughs> <laughs> no, just but kidding. um you do still have to i think provide emergency care to that patient before the termination date or even i think after the termination date if they don't have another doctor like registered that they're that they can see before you so and it's like emergency medical care like you know whatever, horrible foreign body in the eye, chemical splash, mm -hmm. you know, you, you have to at least, um, inform your staff that, you know, mm -hmm. Hey, we're going to release this patient. This patient's not going to be with us anymore. But if they call, if they walk in, do your emergency triage, if it's seriously an emergency situation, we do have to schedule them in. Yes. We have to see them. Um, so just communicate that with your staff too, so that they're not turning the patient away. Um, cause again, that'll bite you in the arse. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that'll be our next series. What will bite you in the arse plus good vibes. Good vibes. <laughs> and then just give, like, if, if there is a healthcare provider, eye care provider that is willing to take on the patient, just letting them know, like giving them a heads up about mm -hmm. exactly what's going on and why you want to transfer care just so they are aware. Mm -hmm. Same mm -hmm. with um, not just other healthcare providers, um, but healthcare providers that are associated with the patient and their insurance companies or networks. I think mm -hmm. you also have to send a letter to all of them and let them know that you're just officially not that patient's eye care provider anymore. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's necessary to tell them why, but I think mm -hmm. you have to inform them like this patient is not at my clinic anymore. Oh, They're yes. My oh, patient. Yeah. So leave me alone. Don't call me. Don't text me. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It's just like, I don't know if there's, if anyone's had a case where they um, fired a patient, but that patient refused to go see another eye care provider and was like, no, I would only like to see this person. So I don't know what would happen in that situation. But I mean, you, I well, know. I mean, you'd have to talk to your lawyer then, right? Because at the end of the day, your letter are already says, yeah, it's not a mutual decision. It's like, yeah. I've decided you're not welcome here anymore. Yeah. Um, I've read like, honestly, on the, on the Facebook groups, like I read those stories, right? Like on Odie's on Facebook, you know, we had to call the police on this guy. I know. Like, I think I've read in. some reviews too on some, a couple clinics in Calgary where there was a person who left a horrible review about some clinic and the clinic owner responded saying, 
you are no longer welcome at our clinic because you constantly abuse our staff and yeah. the other optometrists that are here. So please discontinue writing these reviews because you are no longer a patient here. And I was like, Dang. oh, this patient just like keeps on coming back probably to this clinic and just and like scary staff. And like, yeah. yeah, but then it's like, it's crazy because you like the optometry world is not that dramatic. But when you're like, I got to call the police office. Yeah. Then you're just person, like, okay, then you're like, that's a oh whole nother level. That's a whole um, nother level that I haven't seen yet. Maybe it's more common in the States. But that's what you would here. do. I, I, I read one where they were debating of getting like an actual restraining order on a patient who oh, yeah. continuously kept coming in yeah. and they were fired and, and the patient like abuses the staff and yells at them and does whatever. And, and then, you know, you don't know what these people are carrying and what they have mm -hmm. in their pockets. Oh my like, God. Yeah. Nowadays. Yeah. You and so, know. yeah, one was like, I need a restraining order. And I was like, this is like a whole nother world of firing a patient. And I just, yeah. I don't want to fire patients because yeah. of that. You don't know how they're going to retaliate. So get your lawyer ready to go just yeah. to make sure. Those are all the tips, you know, for the episode and just to kind of really make sure that everyone who's listening has a little bit more direction and feels a little bit more confident in how to break up with the patient and how to do it properly and legally. I'm so lucky, like knock on wood, I have not had that sort of an experience since that one patient. So yeah, I just thought it was a really interesting case that I don't think a lot of people openly talk about. And um, I'm glad we talked about it today because what you're saying as well makes me feel better knowing like how I handled the situation. You had similar thought processes to me. So, mm -hmm. and I'm sure a lot of people will probably go through the same motions. Yeah. So yeah, I hope it was helpful. Yeah, it's a really, like I was going to say, there's certain situations where I feel like, and I think Dr. Hardeep Kateria talked about this where there's certain situations where even girls feel yeah. uncomfortable but then there's other associate or owner ods that are like oh i don't feel that way like it's so different compared to you being the optometrist in a closed room alone with them and their their face is literally so close to you in a slit lamp it's mm -hmm. a whole different you're close quarters like your whole ugh. yeah yeah <laughs> right so like so if even even at that point if your staff <clears throat> even doesn't feel like it's a big deal. If you still feel uncomfortable, it's valid because you this have a different why, experience. This is them. why I believe in some forms of AI or some forms of remote testing. Telehealth, where yeah. Basically, be there. Yeah. And have some robot that's just like doing what I'm doing. Yeah. It's so it's so you. true. But um, but yeah, we can wrap this episode up. It was. It was a short one. We wanted it to be kind of like a case reflection style. And we really hope that you guys learned a bit from this episode. Uh, we hope that you guys resonate with the experience. Hopefully this has helped anyone out there who might be in a similar experience. Um, and share your um, experiences with us. You know, comment on our Instagram videos. Uh, email us, DM us, let us know what you think about the episode. And hopefully we'll have a few more cases down the road to share with you guys. Thanks for listening to Four Eyes, the podcast series brought to you by Young OD Connect. Be sure to subscribe and follow us on Instagram or YouTube at Four Eyes Optom for more content. And we'll see you guys next time. Bye. Bye.